Pastor Yep. Thank you, ladies, and thank you, Brother Steve. And uh, pray for a fellow by the name of um, <clears throat> Randy Kenneth uh, from up in Bolton. Uh, thought he'd be in church this weekend, this Sunday. Um, he had called, but I didn't get to it. I didn't actually see the phone, the uh, phone message until Sunday morning, and it was a little bit too late to give him a call. And so I did give him finally get back with him today. And uh, in the meantime, let's turn to Psalm 62. I expected to see hats flying and hoop de doos and <laughs> moving on. <laughs> but um, he said uh, he was looking for a KV, KJV only church that uh, had traditional music. And I said, well, that sounds just like us. So he said he had uh, tried to be here and this Sunday, so pray for his name is Kenneth. Uh, Randy Kenneth. Randy Kenneth. Kenneth or Kenneth? I'm not sure. I couldn't remember if there was an H on the end of it or not. But anyway, pray for Randy. An R-A-N-D-Y one. <laughs> okay. Hopefully it's R-A-N-D-I. Anyways, we look at um, <clears throat> Psalm 62. Not a long psalm, but sometimes the short ones are the ones that contain a lot of information, a lot of, uh, a lot of help. Sometimes rebuke. Certainly most of the time challenges for us as well. And uh, title of this is tonight, Jack, if you're back there, is Making a Comeback, part one. Making a Comeback. Now, there's, it's going to be a long introduction, by the way. <laughs> there are some people in this life that you may not like for a number of reasons. They don't hate them. You just don't like them. You don't want to be around them. Um, I reminded of my daughter, Robin, my oldest daughter, told her husband, who was a pastor at uh, Red Branch Baptist Church in North Carolina. She came to the living room one day, and I guess, I guess she was beat, fatigued, being a mother, being a wife, being a church secretary, teacher, all the things that she that she carried on her plate at one particular time, she walked in the room, she know, Jeff, I love you. So but right now I don't like you. <laughs> so it's possible to love people and not necessarily like them for whatever the reason might be. And so there are some that we may not like and yet they possess something that we can nonetheless admire about them. Former President Donald Trump is one of those people. Now I'm not getting political tonight. But you either loved him or you disliked him. Most conservatives liked him, but they didn't always necessarily like his tweets. He was a man who just puts it out there and said, this is what I think. At least you knew what he thought about you, and you knew if he liked you or didn't like you. But I don't think there's any question that he did love the country. He loved the country more than this president, president loves himself, which is about what it amounts to. Now, obviously based on the election of 2020, there was just enough people who did not like him or some aspect of his personality, so they chose not to vote for him. It's like call shooting yourself in your foot, <laughs> for the most part. Uh, by the way, you know, in, in, in Ohio, I believe Ohio was an indication of the fact that America is just becoming more and more immoral all along. They 
overwhelmingly voted for abortion at any age, at any, any period along the way. And I think it's right. It's, it's, it's ridiculous for, for the Republicans to get out there and try, try to run on, on that when you've got more than probably 50% of America is that immoral. Now, having said that, there was uh, just enough people who did not like him or some aspect of his personality. But he has always been a famous person, whether you liked him or you did like him. Even if you didn't know him that well, you mentioned Trump, and they probably figured that's who you were talking about, Donald Trump. And uh, he has always been a famous person, a who's who among famous people. He is a success as an author of several books. His TV program, The Apprentice, was a success. It's probably amazing how many people didn't like him, so watched it anyway. But as a real estate broker, he has been very, very successful. He turned the aging Commodore Hotel in New York City into the Grand Hyatt of New York City, which is said to be valued at 26 or $260 million. Billion, no, a million, at $260 million. Now, He's on trial now because they say he has over he has overvalued his property. Well, listen, if he wants to over over um, inflate the price and people are stupid enough to pay for it, that's their problem. They don't have to buy it. He wasn't twisting around to buy these things, but yet that's that's what they got him on trial now for having having overvalued, and now someone else is going to try to value it. So it's okay for them to undervalue than it is for him to overvalue. Well, it's a, it's a witch hunt, and everybody knows it. But we could add to his success tonight being President of the United States. Now, prior to this, with the number of prior successes, there was a 10-year period in which it looked like Donald Trump was going to lose everything. He was uh, about ready to, on the edge of, of ruin, if you will. He had become involved with casinos in Atlantic City, and had trouble making payments. And in spite of this, he emerged from that period of time as the head of a financial empire worth an estimated $3 billion, going from absolute bankruptcy to becoming the head of a financial empire. That's pretty good. So he had failed marriages and a worldly lifestyle that Christians would have been, or would have said was excess and repulsive. Yet, he made a tremendous comeback from the verge of bankruptcy when many had written Donald Trump off. He's going down the tubes. So in Psalm 62 tonight, it is not about Donald Trump, but it is about coming back, coming back from the age of ruin. In this case, it would be David's political ruin. And so, in Psalm 62, though David wasn't having financial problems, he was having political problems. And that political problem was his son Absalom. We've been looking at 2 Samuel chapter 15 uh, through 19 or so. In fact, financial, uh, facing political ruin, and, and David was at the lowest point of his life. 
David had just been informed of Absalom's rebellion and penned this psalm to detail his decision-making plans on making a comeback. He knew that God was not done with him, but what steps he was going to take would be important for him to regain the throne. And so there's an old saying that when life leaves you with lemons, you do what? You make lemonade. And you've got to have sugar and lemonade. <laughs> so, or you can uh, do nothing and miss the opportunity. But anyone can find themselves on the brink of ruin, be it financially, spiritually, legally, health-wise, or any number of other means that it seems like our lives are just crumbling all around us. We may have thought life was so good. Wake up the next morning and find out that, whoa, what happened? Talk about a turn of events. And those solutions may vary depending on the circumstances. The principles of making a comeback as redeemed of the Lord are very clear as we're going to see through Psalm 62. So the first one, comeback step number one. Comeback step number one. Put things in perspective. And this is getting in the way. So put things in perspective. That's one of the first. You know, we almost always panic and we see the worst of the worst in our situation. You just don't understand. You just, and we begin to hyperventilate. Anxieties go off the, off the chart because we don't put things in perspective. Remember what happened when the 12 spies were sent into the land of Canaan? 10 came back, we can't do this. They came back with a totally defeated attitude. Joshua and Caleb come back and say, what's wrong with you guys? Pack them up, buddy, we're gone. The land is ours. It was a matter of perspective. The 10 said, we saw giants. We saw walled cities and, and well-prepared armies, and there's no way we can work with that. Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, but we saw God, and then we saw the enemy. And that's the difference, isn't it? And so the next time you begin to panic over circumstances, like you get a pink slip and say, your job is done. Put it in perspective and say, God has a reason. God has a purpose. When I met with Dr. Grunick and uh, after all the tests had come back and, uh, uh, for prostate cancer, uh, he said, boy, I really hate to tell you this. He said, but you've got cancer. And it, it's serious. And I just looked at him and I said, hmm, my God knew all about it. So I'm, I'm not the least bit surprised. He kind of like, okay. Probably don't get that response too often. But what was the point of panic? I had it. Panicking wasn't going to do away with it. I think they must have had some sort of a recourse somewhere along the line. Of course, my older brother had to have prostate cancer as well, and so on. So, uh, again, it, it's, it's a matter of perspective. And it's important. As a child of God, our first perspective should be to see everything through the eyes of God. See him through the heart of God. And so the wisest step any of us can take, regardless of the circumstances, is to develop a right perspective which, by the way, few can do when we panic with getting a grasp on the issues or the issues before us. Psalm 62 and verse 1 says, Truly, my soul waiteth upon God. Panic has never solved the problem. Fretting and stewing has never solved the problem. 
It may be a, a, a venting, if you will. But at some point, we've got to say, okay, enough's enough. God knew about this. God may have even ordered it. Whoa. Yeah. So truly, my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation or my deliverance. Now, that isn't necessarily, anytime you see the word salvation, you're keeping it in context, it doesn't always mean the salvation we've experienced through, through Jesus Christ. But it certainly was a faith in God. No doubt about that. But he said, Waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation or my deliverance. In other words, God's going to take care of me. God's going to take care of this problem. I just have to make sure that I'm in a right relationship with him more than anything else. And so David could have stayed in Jerusalem and he could have fought against the insurrection. But if we were to keep our place there, if you will, because we're going to jump back to 2 Kings chapter 15. And we're going to be looking at verse 13 through 15. Chapter 15, beginning in uh, verse 13. We're going to look at it. It says here now. Shalom, the son of Jabesh. And that's, that's not where I want to be. I want to be, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel. Come on, dummy. There we go. 2 Samuel, chapter 15, and verse 13. Whew. Okay, need a nap. And it says there, And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. In other words, king, they don't want you to be king anymore. David, they want your son to lead them. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, he said, Arise, let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. So he knew that to fight in the confines of the city would have been a disaster. Many people, innocent people, would have been killed in that particular process. So he felt that the best thing for him to do was to leave the city so he could get along with God and get God's direction and get the mind of the Lord. So he reasoned the cost in human lives would be far too great to recover from. If he had stayed there to fight and innocent people had died, then the battle would have been such that how do you get back on the throne and lead the people when they're burying their husbands or their sons or so on. And so David did not flee so much for his own life, but to put some distance between the circumstances that he was facing. So regardless of how difficult life can get, there is one thing the redeemed of the Lord can do that no one else can do. We can look to our salvation and take great comfort in the fact that no matter what happens to us in life, we're still going to heaven. We're still God's child. We still belong to the Lord. So David has learned that whatever we face in life, God has a plan to deliver his faithful. Whether it's through the battle here or 
the loss of life in the battle, and we go to heaven. And mm, the way things are going, I think a lot of us would like to be in heaven today. Amen? If we had given the choice, given the druthers. But Psalm 62 and verse 2 uses this phrase that is very telling in that we find in God all we need to carry us through whatever is confronting us or trials that we face. So verse 2, it says, He only is my rock. David went with probably 600 of his choicest soldiers, men who could have wreaked havoc in Jerusalem against David's enemies and against Absalom. And yet he said, God only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be, what's that next word? I shall not be. How many times we have probably read that and moved over that and never really took some time to say, hmm, what does that mean? Now we have human responses to circumstances, don't we? There might be the biting of the tongue, the daggers from the eyes, the clenching of the teeth. <laughs> but we can't stay that way. So I, I believe that David has taken into account the disappointment that it was his son. My son Absalom has led this insurrection against me. And I believe to a degree he might have been devastated. At the very least, he would have been heartbroken because of this whole thing, the news that he gotten at Absalom. And so, such words as, he only is my rock, my salvation, he is my defense, and, and all of these are true. It may not seem like it, but listen, look what Israel's going through today. Look what she's gone through her entire history. Some of it was, was uh, self-inflicted, uh, and it probably still is to some degree self-inflicted because they haven't recognized and accepted the fact that Jesus Christ was the long-awaited Messiah. But they're, in, they're embroiled in a war right now with the Arab world because they hate the Jews. Israel had done nothing to provoke Hamas. Had done nothing. And they had nothing to done to Hezbollah. Hezbollah. Hezbollah, get it right. Hezbollah. Or the, the Houthis or the Tutis or whatever the other ones are. I'm not sure what they are. But... I mean, they, they would live in peace with the Palestinians. And the Palestinians would, would live in harmony with the Jews if it wasn't for Hamas and Hezbollah. They are the stirrers of the pot. And they will sacrifice their own people to get their, their way and get their authority. But... I look at it and say, as devastating as it is to realize that a lot of lives are going to be lost, they can't push Israel into the sea. They can put those placards up all they want to from the, from, from the river to the sea or from the sea to the river, whatever it is they want to do. But God is not done with Israel. And so don't panic. A lot of them are going to lose their lives, yes. But nonetheless, there's going to be a remnant that's going to be spared. Try as the Arab nation will and hate the Jews as much as the world appears to be hating them. 
God is in control. And there is nothing that they can do to Israel that God does not permit them to do. Period. And so you hear the pundits on TV, the generals and the newscasters, whether it's on MSNB, whatever that thing's called, or CNN or any other stations and the generals about, about the whole situation over there, the pundits, and they never include God in, in their plans and their purposes. And that's something we've got to learn to do is to include God in our plans and not deal with the idea that he's going to make them work, but with the idea, Lord, is this, is this what you'd have me to do? Is this the direction you'd have me to go? Is this how you would have me to handle this? Is this how you would have me to deal with this? And if God says no, then don't push it. Stop. Let God guide you and direct you as he will. But when we read, I shall not be greatly moved, this phrase indicates that we may, to some degree, initially, be overwhelmed by the thing or things that we are facing. It's kind of like taking your breath away, like, <gasps> because you were surprised. And that's a natural reaction. It's a human reaction. But when we realize that, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm a child of God. God's in control here. I'm a part of God. God has a plan. God has a purpose for my life. And so emotions can be tricky. And by the immediate happening of some events in our lives, we may find ourselves taken back until we come to the realization that God is bigger than any problem I will ever, ever face. Even if it is death, God is still bigger than that because he's going to take my soul and my spirit and he's going to bring it home with him. And all that man can do is dig a hole and throw me in it. That's all he can do. And then we claim as David did in Psalm 62 and verses 1 and 2. Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. You know, Satan has this unique ability to magnify those things that are bad. He has an ability to magnify such things as worry, such things as fear, to magnify our enemies, to magnify our failures, and whatever emotion tends to rise up before us, he has a way of magnifying them and making them seem so much worse. And you must always remember the two out of the ten, uh, the two out of the twelve that went into the promised land. They saw and judged according to the flesh. They judged according to their fears, and they judged rightly as to their inabilities. The other two, they recognized that as far as man went, man had those, those inabilities. But they weren't trusting on man's ability. They were trusting on God's ability. And that was the perspective, when we get a right perspective. We look at our problem and we look through the eyes of God and say, God, you knew about this, didn't you? 
You crafty little fellow, you. <laughs> you knew all about it. You knew this was coming. You knew it was happening. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to experience this with you as we go through this together. And so when we compare how bad we have it or what we're going through to how good it is going to be one day, whether here or in glory, we can develop and maintain a positive attitude in a fallen world. And that just, that, that, oh, the devil hates that. It just bugs him to no end when you and I do not fall apart. And we claim with David, truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. And so in this psalm, we see David comparing the present rebellion and his heartache in this world with and in eternity with God. And his perspective began to change as he saw things were not as bad as he first imagined them to be. Oh, they weren't good, but he knew that God was in it and that God would direct it and work it out. Let me see what time we have here. Yeah, we've got time for one more. Come back, number two. Come back, step number two. Renew. Renew your dependence upon God. Renew your dependence upon God. Sometimes we get to doing things on a day-to-day -day basis and we get doing those things in the flesh, don't we? And we don't think about it. We just do it. I mean, you get up in the morning, you get dressed. You go to work, get in the car, start the car up and drive down the road. You go to work and do your thing at work, come back home again. And so we just go through all up to the right entire day. And so sometimes God has to give us a wake-up call. Yeah, it's been a little while since you talked to me. Yeah, it's been a little while since you brought this particular subject up before me. And so when we turn back to our salvation experience, we also turn back to the Lord who redeemed us. And that's the important part. We turn, we turn back to who it is that say, well, first of all, who called us? God. No one ever gets saved without the call of God. Whether it's through someone sharing the verse with us or hearing a sermon or picking up a track. So we can go back here and, and, and we, we, we can see God and we can realize what God did for us. We can realize what God gave for us. We can realize who God is. I mean, there's just so many things that can come in and, and all of a sudden the problems begin to diminish because we know that whatever is out there, Satan's behind it and God's bigger than Satan any, any time of the day. So what a wonderful emotional experience to look back and know that in one second of time, we went from being a sinner, a part of Satan's family, to a child born into God's family. I mean, in a nanosecond of time. From a sinner to a saint. From being alienated from God to being joined heirs with the Son. <laughs> in a split second of time. Wow. The unbreakable promises of eternal life with Christ. And we could go on and all the things that would spill out into our memory. Folks, if God is able to save David's soul for eternity, David's thinking then saving and protecting him, protecting his throne and his life would be no problem. Not a problem at all. And so... Folks, if God is able to save David and deal with his problems, he can deal with ours. Anytime we attempt to tackle a problem in life, like David, it's best to step back and make sure 
that God is with us. <gasps> but preacher, I'm saved. God is always with me. He is always with you. But there is also times of separation when there's sin in our lives. Amen? Isaiah, just a couple books ahead. Isaiah 59. Looking at verse, now God's talking to Israel. I don't think any of us would doubt that God was, God was with Israel, but uh, he had to step back from Israel. And there's times when he has to step back from our life. Now, we don't lose our salvation. We don't lose the eternal, the, the eternal destiny that God's promised us through faith in Christ. He says here in, in Isaiah 59, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. And then there's that fatal word in verse 2, is which is what? But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not what? He will not hear. So anytime the children of God get footloose and fancy free with sin, God is not in that same place of presence that he would have been if they were in a right relationship with God. They can cry out all day long, God save me this, save me that. But if they have sin in their heart that they have not taken care of and confessed before the Lord, he cannot move. So, sin in our lives becomes a barrier to divine help and divine direction. Psalm 139, verses 22 and 23, I think Steve mentioned that just recently in a couple of his sermons. It pretty much I have done many times over as well. And I think it's because it's important. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts. Whew, that's a pretty uh, open invitation. Carte blanche. Lord, wherever my thoughts are rambling around, dear Lord, know them. Expose them. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, whatever there is that's going to be a barrier between me. And listen, you have no idea what, what tomorrow holds. So play footloose and fancy free with sin today. And tomorrow may be a different story because you're going to want, to hear, you're going to want God to hear you. And he's got hands off until you get your sin taken care of. And so that psalm contains two principles that should be exercised daily to make sure that we have a right heart in preparing for the unexpected regardless how serious it may be. That's what, that's what Paul said in, in the book of Acts. I believe it's uh, probably Acts chapter 27. He said, I do always exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. In Psalm 139, verses 22 and 20, uh, 23 and 24, would, uh, I'm sorry, I'll get wrong, 22 and Psalm 22 and 23. Did I get it right? Yes. Um, I had it written down wrong here and I knew it wasn't right. But anyway, um, we have to realize that if we exercise that, giving God an open opportunity, even before we go to bed at nighttime, you might actually sleep better. <laughs> Rising up in the morning, say, Lord, new day, a new way. Lord, you search me throughout the day. 
And if there's any wicked way in me, now, wicked way doesn't mean you have to be running over pedestrians. Doesn't mean that you have to be in a, in a massive fight and brawl with your husband or your wife before you go to work or your kids one or another. Wicked, wicked way means, even as a child of God, not responding appropriately. About our actions and our reactions, and about our attitude as we face the day. Even those in the sight of God are wicked. And that's again, we have to see these things from God's perspective, not from our own. And so the first two steps for the comeback road are this. Put things in perspective. Secondly, renew your dependence upon God as it is easy to get ahead or to go ahead without him. Amen? Wait on the Lord. All right. That's the first two comebacks in 